Hello, and welcome back to Let's Learn About AI, the podcast dedicated to learning about the fundamentals of artificial intelligence. So, last time we talked about the history of AI, and I gave a bit of a hand-waving explanation for what the field actually is. This week we'll dig a little bit deeper into what artificial intelligence is about, and give some more concrete definitions. The reason I wanted to do history before an introduction was because the history is going to frame a lot about what we talk about this week and also in future weeks. I think it's important to get that first. We'll fill in a lot of gaps, but I think it's good to have a general overview of the history because it'll make what we talk about today a little clearer. I'll probably say this at the beginning of every episode, but for someone who hasn't listened to episodes one and two yet, I would suggest starting there before continuing with this one. We haven't gone very far or deep, but there is a pedagogical order. I mean, it might not be a good one, but there is a pedagogical order to these, so it's best to start with episode one. Finally, for the foreseeable future, it looks like my primary reference for a lot of this will be a textbook used in many introductory artificial intelligence courses. It's called Artificial Intelligence, A Modern Approach by Russell and Norvig. The book is pretty expensive, so I definitely suggest don't buy it unless if this is, uh, well, I'll say this, don't buy it if it's just to follow along with this. But it is the best textbook I have found so far, and I wanted to give them credit. Um, Unlike other fields, I found that the number of introductory textbooks was quite limited, which was a little surprising. So this is definitely the best of the ones that I looked through. And I apologize if you hear any background noise, but there is a thunderstorm going on, and unfortunately my audio setup is right next to a window, so we could hear some rain or some uh, thunder. So I do apologize for that ahead of time. But with that, let's dig right into it. So this week, the question that we want to answer is something that we touched on last week, which is, what actually is artificial intelligence? So last week, I gave just the broad definition that an artificial intelligence is any synthetic system that can observe its environment and attempts to optimize its behavior to complete some action or goal in that environment. So it's an intelligent agent, and it's a very broad definition. And from everything that I can see, this is probably the most commonly used definition in the field right now, and certainly in industry. But there are other ways to broadly define an artificial intelligence, so we're going to talk about some other ones. The first differentiator we could have is, are we concerned with how an artificial intelligence thinks, or are we concerned with how the artificial intelligence acts? The second differentiator would be, what do we compare to? Do we compare to human thought or human-level performance, or do do we compare against optimal or fully rational thought or behavior? This second one might seem a little arbitrary, but you'll kind of understand where I'm coming from once we actually go through the different categories. And we'll start with acting like a human, partially because this is the easiest to conceptualize. This is basically every uh, every Hollywood artificial intelligence, but also because it allows us to relatively easily define some sort of uh, success measure. So if this were your definition of success in artificial intelligence, then you could say you were successful and had completed a artificial intelligence system once it was impossible for someone interacting with that system to tell if they were talking to a computer or another human being. And this is actually almost exactly what Alan Turing proposed as a way to measure intelligence in machines. He called it the imitation game. In the show notes, I will probably have a link to the original paper, but the idea is actually pretty simple. I can just explain it. So you have one person who's playing the game, and that person is talking to two individuals through a computer. So it's only text. There's no vision or anything. No no, no sound. Just text. And that person is talking to two individuals. One is a computer, and the other is a human being. If the person can have a conversation with the computer and the human being, and they cannot successfully differentiate between the computer and the human being, then the computer is said to have passed the Turing test. 
I personally think that the Turing test kind of misses the point. For instance, it would be relatively easy for me to tell the difference between a human and a chimpanzee, or a human and a dolphin, just from the way that they act or respond to me. But we know that chimpanzees and dolphins are not unintelligent. In fact, they're very intelligent. They just are not as intelligent as human beings in many of the ways that humans would define intelligence. Uh, perhaps more importantly, though, the Turing test actually doesn't really test intelligence as much as it tests a computer's ability to fool humans. Now, while fooling and lying actually does require some sort of intelligence, but I don't think simply passing the Turing test is enough to say that a computer is intelligent. But we will definitely come back and visit the Turing test again, and also other tests that people have devised to test the intelligence of artificial agents. Uh, and I will say that while pop culture has definitely grabbed onto the Turing test, I actually haven't seen a strong concerted push from the research field to create an agent that can pass the test. So take from that what you will. The next category would be an artificial agent that thinks like a human. The goal here would be to study how the human mind works and implement this in a computer program. And so there's a few ways that you can study the human mind. The first is through introspection, just looking at your own thoughts while you are doing something or while you're under stress. Uh, this is probably the least scientific way of doing this um, and also very prone to error. The, other, the second way that you could do this is to study people as they perform actions. And this is basically what the field of psychology does. Finally, the last way that you could do this is a more of a neuroscience approach, which is to study the brain uh, via brain scans as someone is performing actions. And as you can see, this is where you get the strongest links between artificial intelligence and other fields like psychology, biology, neuroscience, uh, cognitive science, which is an interdisciplinary field that deals with studying the mind. Um, and so because this actually relies very heavily on outside research and experiments in other fields, which is a little bit outside of our scope for this podcast, I probably won't talk about this one too much, uh, except where necessary or where, where it kind of like meshes with the other categories, at least for our first introductory season. But it's, you know, once we start covering more in-depth topics, more uh, state-of-the-art stuff, uh, we could very well come back to the connection between neuroscience and artificial intelligence, for instance, which has some interesting research in it. The third way of defining an intelligence would be an agent that thinks rationally. I just want to be clear here, when I split human thinking from rational thinking, I'm not saying that humans are unintelligent. Just that this would be a mathematically uh, rational agent, something that uses math and logic to optimally perform tasks. But this is a good time to point out that humans are in many ways irrational, so we are definitely not mathematically rational, and we are hardwired with a whole bunch of uh, biases, cognitive biases, and many times we fail to recognize that our perception of the world around us is in general actually not faithful to reality. Um, I'll post a link to a Wikipedia page that lists some of the cognitive biases that have been studied just for your entertainment, and if you haven't seen uh, cognitive biases before, I suggest you read it. It's, it's pretty fascinating. And I know I started talking about logic in the last episode, and this is where it would really come into its own in this sort of definition of artificial intelligence. The goal of this sort of AI would be to work from a set of facts and deduce new facts. So we'll almost certainly have more lectures on logic and logical forms, but the most famous would be just the statement, if A, then B. And the most famous example would be, Socrates is a man, 
all men are mortal, therefore Socrates is mortal. And these are basically logically sound statements where so when I say if A, then B, if A is true, then B must also be true logically. Uh, and so at first glance, this sort of logic actually looks very promising for artificial intelligences, right? So if you give it a few statements, then it can build all sorts of new statements that should mathematically and logically be true. Um, the problem here is that there are a lot of facts in the world. Even if you start with a very tiny, tiny number of small facts, say 100 facts, we don't have any computer on the planet that would ever be able to go through every single combination of those 100 initial facts. And the way that you describe how hard a problem is mathematically and computationally is through complexity theory. And complexity theory is something that I will introduce once we start talking about search in the next episode. But if you want to get a primer on complexity theory, I'll have a link in the show notes for you. And this sort of complexity explosion shows up in just about every field in one way or another. We do see it in physics, for instance, as well. But it seems to show up an awful lot in artificial intelligence for one reason or another. And the last category, but certainly not the least, is an agent that acts rationally. The reason I left this for last is that this is most closely satisfies the definition from last time. Perceiving its environment and taking actions to optimize its chances of success at a given task. And this is more broad than the idea of simply thinking rationally. In fact, uh, we could probably say that thinking rationally is just one method of achieving rational action. There are many things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, for instance, that involve no rational thought. Um, reflexes are a good example. So if you prick your finger, you recoil before you've ever even noticed that it was pricked. So there was zero rational thought, but definitely that was a rational action to get away from danger. Uh, another one is that many times I find now that when I drive to work, I actually have no recollection of how I got there. It was almost unconscious, the ability to drive to work because I've done it so many times. And so this kind of unconscious optimization that the brain does is actually very common. And it takes a lot of the rational thought, as we would describe it, out of rational actions. In fact, in most situations in life, it's impossible to make a completely rational decision based on first-order logic, because the world is quite uncertain, and you usually don't know everything that you need to know to make a completely rational decision. And so an artificial agent would need some way to deal with uncertainties. It can have uncertainties from its sensors, for instance. Uh, it can have uncertainties about the world's current state. And perhaps the most challenging is that a good agent would also be able need to be able to handle uncertainties about how other agents, other humans, other animals, and the like would be interacting with it. And that's probably the most complicated one. And just as a teaser, there are some very powerful mathematical tools that we use for dealing with uncertainties in these sorts of models. Uh, many of them are based on Bayes' theorem, which you might have heard of if you've taken a probability course before. But we'll talk about that a little later in the series. I think there's multiple reasons why this model of artificial intelligence has really dominated the field, um, but I'll just mention two right here. First, working with humans is actually very messy. Uh, humans are complicated. It takes a long time for humans to grow. Studying humans is very expensive and time-consuming, and you know, honestly, ethically, we can't perform a lot of studies that would be perhaps more insightful. And that's not a bad thing, but it does make it slower. On the other hand, with machines... Uh, machines can be iterated very quickly, hardware can be iterated on a yearly schedule, and software can be iterated on an hourly schedule even. 
And if we base our research on rationality instead of humanity, this gives us thousands of years of math, logic, science, and engineering research to base everything on. Uh, one more thing that I would like to cover before we wrap this episode up is the different subfields in artificial intelligence. And just to be clear, there are many subfields. I am certainly not an expert in this, but I'm going to go over what appear to be six of the largest, if not the largest. And so we'll start with natural language processing. This is uh, basically exactly what it sounds like. Computers are very, very good at understanding machine code, but that's all. Uh, we have developed higher and higher level languages that allow us to translate what we want a computer to do into machine code easier and easier. These are called programming languages, of course, things like C, C++, Java, Python, Scala, etc. Uh, these languages are very strictly defined. Everything has a very clear meaning and can be parsed in only one correct way. That is definitely not the case for human natural languages, of course, like English. The meaning of a sentence in English depends not only on the words and their meanings, but on a complex grammar, your intonation, and it's also strongly shaped by your experiences and the shared knowledge that you have with the person that you're speaking to. Computers have none of this ability intrinsically like we do, so they must be programmed to emulate it or work around it in some way. And this is what natural pro language processing deals with. It addresses the questions of parsing natural language, understanding natural language, both, of course, in spoken and written form, and also the generation of natural language, many times, for instance, in response to a human prompt. And so you can kind of think of chatbots, right? And if you thought about how bad chatbots are, that should tell you how hard this problem is. But they have been getting much better recently, and I think a lot of that is due to advances in uh, neural networks. The king of this field, I would say, is probably the Google search engine. The ability of Google search to understand my terribly worded uh, and terribly thought out questions and then give a useful response at two in the morning is actually pretty astounding. And it's probably the closest thing we have to true computer intelligence right now. The second category, and this is another large one, is computer vision. And this is exactly what the name implies. Collecting, processing, and understanding an image or a video, either from photographs, from sensors, or from some input device. This field enables a lot of very interesting and upcoming technology. For instance, think about uh, autonomous vehicles. These would rely on the ability to take sensor data from LiDAR and perhaps also from cameras and identify anything important in the picture. Humans, other vehicles, signs, and uh, you know, streetlights are all just the beginning of what it needs to be able to identify. And it needs to be able to do this very fast and extremely accurately. But you'll also recognize that image recognition is just the first step in a long pipeline. It has to be able to recognize these things and then be able to make uh, decisions based on what it sees. Perhaps a little more mundane, but already in use, uh, computer vision is actually used a lot in automated farm equipment so that the equipment can navigate fields, which I think is pretty cool. A little bit more esoteric subfield is knowledge representation, and this refers to how a computer stores what it knows. Any smart artificial intelligence will probably start off knowing some basic facts and skills, but if it's truly intelligent, it will need to learn from experience. And this subfield deals with how it stores both what it knows and how it updates what it knows as it gets new information. And so this is very important for a truly intelligent system. The fourth subfield would be automated reasoning. And this is a field that saw a lot of success in very simple models at the very beginning of artificial intelligence, back in like the 50s and 60s. But it also seems to be the field that led researchers to overpromise and underperform 
which ended up with the first art, uh, AI winter. The subfield deals precisely with creating a machine that can learn logically, using facts and logical forms to come to logically sound conclusions. One really cool part of the field is something called automated theorem proving, where a computer can be tasked to generate its own mathematical theorems. And as far as I'm aware, it hasn't ever proved anything groundbreaking, but it is still pretty cool. Probably the hottest of the six subfields right now is machine learning. This one's all the rage these days. You probably see it in the news and, you know, deep learning, machine learning this, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the name is quite descriptive, actually. It deals exactly with a machine being able to learn without being explicitly programmed. When you hear about neural networks or decision trees, they were trained using methods from machine learning. So there's three ways that this usually goes. The most common is supervised learning, where you give an algorithm a bunch of examples and their corresponding labels or answers, and it will learn some mapping between the inputs and the outputs so that when you give it a new example, it can classify it very quickly. Unsupervised learning is when you only give the algorithm a bunch of data without labels, and then you ask it to find similarities between the data. For instance, if you create an algorithm and then feed it a thousand pictures of apples and oranges, the algorithm might become very good at differentiating between an apple and an orange. The final way is called reinforcement learning, and this is definitely uh, hot in both machine learning and AI proper right now. Uh, for instance, AlphaGo, if you remember, was the uh, algorithm that beat the, Go, the former Go world champion and was trained using reinforcement learning techniques. The idea is actually relatively simple. You have a agent and a reward function, and you reward the agent when it does something correctly, and the agent's goal is to maxify, maximize its cumulative reward. So you can imagine AlphaGo, basically it plays many, many games of Go, and you have a reward function that rewards it basically for winning, and so that way it gets better and better at the game as it plays itself, actually, over time. And the last subfield, and really it's a field to itself, is robotics. Uh, surprisingly, I guess this is the field that I have the least direct knowledge of, and in many ways it seems to be kind of its own world. Uh, robotics deals with the design and control of robots, and it really does deserve its own show. Uh, and I think as far as this podcast is concerned, uh, robotics will be put off for another season. And I think with that, we've covered all of the major parts of AI research, both in uh academia and industry. I don't think I really missed anything, but if I did, please feel free to leave me a message or a comment or something. Uh, one thing I did not cover is exactly how AI is influenced by other fields of research. And we kind of talked about it a little bit with the psychology and the uh, neuroscience, but we'll go a little deeper into that at some point later in the series. Uh, one thing that I really did not touch on at all, but I think is actually fascinating, is the connection between artificial intelligence, intelligence, and philosophy. And so that's definitely something that we're going to have to come back to. Uh, just because of how much time that would take to cover everything sufficiently, I think that's probably going to have to be its own season. Or at least it's going to have to be at the end of our first season. The other option would be to mix mini philosophy episodes in between the regular episodes of this season. And if you have any preference, uh, please let me know. I think with that, we'll call it a week, and starting next episode, we will actually start digging into the details, so break out the pencil and paper and be ready. We're going to start talking about search. Uh, if you want to get in contact with me, you can leave me an email at letslearnaboutai at gmail.com, or leave a comment on the episode at thecurious.space slash podcast. That's thecurious.space slash podcast, which is the podcast website.
I'd love to hear from anyone listening, so feel free to contact me about whatever you'd like, as long as it's not illegal and preferably about this podcast. And with that, I'll be signing off, so I will be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.